uh, remind you about is, you know, we, one thing we've tried to do is some, since we've come together is to have some together events. Gives us some good reasons other than just Sunday morning just to come together and fellowship with one another and, uh, and have a good time. So we've got a, a together event that's going to be on June the 26th. Um, and uh, what it's going to be, it's going to be a movie. Uh, the movie is called I Still Believe. And anyway, so we're going to come together, and if you want to come uh, a little bit early, we're going to have a Mr. Taco food truck outside. Uh, another thing, too, I want to remind you that this is not just for our, uh, our congregation here. If you have somebody you want to invite, and hopefully we'll have people that would just drive in and get them a taco, and we can invite them in to watch a movie or whatever. So uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a community event as well. So we hope that, uh, that you will um, you know, want to be a, a part of that. Uh, and then another thing we're going to uh, kind of promote this morning, too, is something that's going to be a lot of fun. It's a, it's a kind of a together event, but it's something that you have to sign up for and everything, and you need to do that pretty, pretty soon. But anyway, it's going to be a mystery theater, so uh, let's run that promo right now. I appreciate you being my caddy, dear. You're welcome, honey. Thanks for bringing me on this dream vacation. The Oceanside Palace Hotel is so nice, and I'm looking forward to the luau. Ugh! I think I'm gonna go swim with the fishes. Oh, don't give up, sweetie. You couldn't keep your head down that long anyway. This course is so beautiful. I'd move heaven and earth if I could just break 80. Well, try heaven, because you've already moved most of the earth. Mm. Well, I think my game is improving. Yes, yes, you miss the ball much closer now. Could you please stop checking your watch? It's extremely distracting. Oh, um, it's not a watch, it's a compass. Uh, this isn't even my ball. It's way too old to be my ball. Well, it has been a long time since we teed off. Uh, Wait, honey, we're only on hole three. You're still gonna take me to the luau tonight. Hey, why are you taking the cart? We rode out here together. I'm not quite sure what that has to do with the Mystery Dinner Theater, but um, anyway. Um, <laughs> I wanted to let everybody know that we are having a Mystery Dinner Theater in August, and you do have to sign up for it. You, we will be signing up for the month of June, and the sign-up is out there as you leave the front door, and we will have somebody out there every Sunday through the end of June. Uh, it is for college age and up. So if you are a single or you are college age or a couple, please sign up for that. Um, if you ever have been to a mystery dinner theater, Somebody will be murdered, and uh, I will know who the victim is. And according to Thad's um, preaching last week, I may let him in on it. He may get to choose who gets murdered according to, you know. He may have a few people that he would like to murder in the congregation, so I may let him choose who gets murdered. But anyway, uh, it's a lot of fun. If you've never been to one, uh, we will have to decide who the murderer is. So uh, we will divide up at the tables and figure out who the murderer is. And you do have to dress up just in 
Hawaiian shirts, shorts, whatever. It's just a beach, beach attire, summer attire, whatever. That's the most you'll have to dress up unless you really want to go out and wear, uh, go all out and wear coconuts and a grass skirt. That's up to you. But, um, and I do, I do have one person in the congregation that has done that before. I won't name any names, but um, we have seen that before. So pick up one of these little brochures as you leave today and um, sign up, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So that's all I have to say about it, but we're going to have food and um, a lot of good times, and um, just um, make sure you sign up. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cindy. They are a lot of fun. I've been a part of one before, and uh, they are. They're just, you just really have a blast doing that. So hopefully, please uh, be thinking about that. You, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. So let's uh, transition, Tim, uh, into our, wor- our worship time. You know, announcements, if you throw them right in the middle of a service, sometimes it just kind of <laughs> messes things up. But uh, we want to concentrate. Now we've concentrated on us, on having fun and getting together and everything. Let's concentrate on the Lord right now. Uh, I'd like for that to read uh, Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and I'm going to read going to read five verses of this. There's actually 22 verses in this, but we're going to just read five. So let's all stand and, you know, as a reading of the Word. And this is a Psalm of David, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all of our iniquities, who who heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And there's more verses in 103, and I invite you to this afternoon or tonight before you go to bed to read the rest of that. But as you're reading in Psalm 103, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a psalm that David writes, and it's pure worship. It's not, you know, it's not like what he normally does when maybe, when maybe he's crying out for help or he's crying out for deliverance or anything like that. He is crying out in worship. You know, he's, just, he's just worshiping the Lord for his goodness And when you get in there, he's going to be remembering all the good things that God has done, you know, for him personally and for Israel. And you're going to see that. And when you're seeing words in there, you've already seen loving kindness. You're going to see compassion. Um, You know, there's going to be, you know, forgiveness. Uh, You're going to see that God is gracious. And uh, then it ends up with his sovereignty. You know, sovereignty is so comforting to each and every one of us because it guarantees that nothing or nobody can thwart the purpose of God. Isn't that, isn't that great to know that? That he never changes and nobody's going to be able to change it. He's always going to have his plan and we're all part of it. So we thank the Lord for that. So it's, that's what we want to do today. We want to, we want to focus in on these wonderful attributes of God as we worship together. Let's have a word of prayer, and then, um, then, we're, going to, then we're going to start off with a video. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you today for the opportunity of gathering together uh, with fellow believers. Father, we can come together to worship you, 
Father, we want to give glory to your name. Scripture says, bless his holy name. Father, we know that your name encompasses all that you are, all that you do, Lord. And we are so thankful. Bless your holy name. Father, we know that you are holy. You are unique. You are like none other. There's none like you, Lord. And God, we just thank you that we are here to worship such a wonderful, magnificent God. Lord, just be with us as we're here during this hour. It's devoted to you, Father, and we just pray that as we leave here today, Lord, that you will know that you have been worshipped, that you have been glorified, that you have been honored, and, Father, that, that you have been blessed. And, God, we just thank you, and we pray all these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. all stand and worship our Lord and Savior. Um, so our God who reigns, we just, we just read that, our God who reigns has acted on our behalf. And aren't you glad he's acted on our behalf? He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so this morning, um, we respond. Um, our lives are, are a response to God's actions in our life. So let's all join our hearts and our voices this morning. And, you know, I'm not singing to you and you guys aren't singing to me. We're we're singing to the Lord this morning, and uh, let's just join our hearts and do that. Let's sing together. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see Beauty that made this heart adore you Hope of a life spent with you So here I am to worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy. 
to age And age to age she stands And time is in his hands Beginning and the end Beginning and the end The Godhead three in one Father, Spirit and Son the Lion and the Lamb the Lion and the Lamb How great is our God Sing with me How great is our God And oh, sing how great ugliness that we were before Christ. And uh, we talked about it this morning during our Family Matters. We call it the education hour, right? But we talked about it this morning, Sunday school. And uh, it's a pretty nasty picture. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2 to, to his letter to those folks. And he says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then he raised us up with, uh, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The King of Kings gave it all. Let's sing it.
the darkness we were waiting without hope without light so from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt sing together
I think that rail ought to be named the George Morange Memorial Handrail. I'm the only one that ever uses it, it seems like. Hey, now I can see it. Isn't it a real joy that we have so many young people that love to sing? And my memory, forgive me, but it's B's daughter. Kate? Kate. Beautiful voice, and it just runs in the family, I guess. It's in the blood. And B plays piano, he plays guitar, he, he even hums and whistles better than most of us. But uh, it's just a blessing to have so many gifted people. When I was your age, Kate, uh, my dad and I would go fishing at Old River right up near where the prison is. Uh, and I forgot that too. <laughs> uh, Louisiana State Prison. Anyway, it's a, there's an oxbow called Old River. What? Angola, Angola yes. It, it was just through the trees. And there are no walls or fences at Angola. They say if you want to escape, try it. Because you have to go through swamp in every direction. And the only person ever to make it was Steve McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> and he was blessed. And that's what the script said. He had to make it. Uh, but the girl didn't make it. And he shot the fella he was trying to get to to start with. But anyway... Um, my dad and I would go catch these big black crickets, and right across the street from my grandmother's house in Baton Rouge was a big drainage canal, big. And uh, uh, he would tell me to go down to the bottom of that canal and start singing, and the crickets would just start jumping, <laughs> coming up out of that canal. So th that tells you a lot about, about my uh, musical escapades and and I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, thank you for the opportunity to be with you this morning. I got to be honest with you. Uh, uh, I, I miss the pulpit ministry on a regular basis. Did it for over 40 years. And the uh, Lord was gracious enough to, to keep me going and to take my meager abilities and to uh, bless them and use them. Uh, uh, in many, many ways, and I'll always be grateful for that. But as much as I miss it, I'm also convinced that it was his wisdom when he said uh, it's time to, to step down. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying retirement, which for the most part is fishing and doing whatever else my wife tells me to do. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, today is our 51st wedding anniversary. Yeah. And, and that's just the good years. Uh, no, but uh, Glenda, uh, from the moment I saw you, I knew that you were the, the woman for me. And um, um, I had to guard you at times and protect you from the wolves. I even had to get a job in North Carolina once at the spur of the moment because that's where she was going to spend the summer along with three or four of my male friends at a big Baptist uh, conference center, Ridgecrest. And at the last minute, they said the only jobs available are at 
Ridgecrest Boys Camp across the interstate. So I called, and the, the, the big leader was Big Chief Golden Eagle. And I said, Big Chief, I said, you would be a fool of extraordinary proportions if you started that camp without me. <laughs> I said, there's nothing I can't do better than anybody you got. And he said, well, if you're that good, get up here. So I went to North Carolina, and I was made the football coach, archery instructor. That was a real kick, David. Uh, my first instruction, I got them together. I shot an arrow in the head. I said, now somebody catch it. And they started scattering. But I had all kinds of responsibilities, and I only had one day off. And on that one day off, Glenda would come and meet me, and we'd, we'd hike up to the mountains and and to the waterfalls and to all those things. And it only solidified in my mind that she was the one that God had uh, chosen for me. And, and if there was any doubt, she, she took it away. She said, yes, you're the one for me. So let's forget about that. But all right, so anyway, 51 years, and uh, I wish I could start over again. But the next best option is just to keep going where we are. And uh, she's a wonderful partner and caregiver to me, and companion, and she's been a, a great encouragement to me. It's like the story of the guy that woke up and he said, I'm not going to work today. I'm just tired of it. Plus, the people don't like me. And the wife said, no, you've got to go. She said, he said, why? She said, because you're the pastor. <laughs> And uh, I think every pastor has had moments like that, maybe. But uh, it was, it's been a wonderful uh, time uh, all the years. And Glenda's been by my side at, at every one of them. And uh, I'm just glad that she's still with me as we start out on number uh, 52. All right. I got that out of the way. <clears throat> no, I didn't mean that negatively. I, I wanted to say it, but I mean, I, I've, I've said it because I, I didn't forget it because I wrote it down. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Um, I want to read you a story. It comes from Paul, uh, that governor, I forgot his name. He was a radio broadcaster out of Chicago for many years. Paul Harvey. Uh, he used to have a segment called The Rest of the Story. And this was, they were published in a book. And this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, he says, now I'm going to tell you a mystery story, a real life mystery story. But I'm going to tell you first how it ends. It's important that you know so you can keep the facts straight. The colonel was married and he also had a mistress. Indeed, the colonel was just about to leave his wife for the other woman when his wife decided to kill him. All right, do you have this? It's important. The colonel's wife wants to do away with her husband so she conceives the perfect crime. The wife will make it appear as though her husband, the colonel, has murdered her. The authorities would do the rest. The colonel would be tried, convicted, executed. <laughs> And his wife could turn up later with feigned amnesia. The perfect crime, right? And, mystery buffs, please don't feel cheated because you know more than you should. 
Despite all that you've heard, you've never, you'll never guess the rest of the story. One frosty night in December of 1926, a car was found at the bottom of a chalk pit in Newlands Corner, England. Inside the car was a fur coat belonging to the colonel's wife. The woman had disappeared, and the police suspected murder. And who is being asked not to leave town? The colonel, of course. Obvious motive, the mistress involvement, and no alibi. The colonel himself was interrogated first. Where had he been the night in question? Well, the colonel explained he'd been at a dinner party. What was the occasion? The colonel appeared embarrassed. The dinner party was for himself and his lady. They were going to announce their engagement. The detectives looked at each other. Was the colonel at the party all evening? No. He had received a telephone call from his wife. She had heard what was going on and was about to come to the party to make a scene. Naturally, the colonel had to go home for a while <clears throat> to calm his wife. Did he? Yes, the colonel had gone home. No one was there, and he had returned to the party. Had the colonel and his wife been on good terms prior to her disappearance? Yes. Well, no. Not exactly. They had had their disagreements. In fact, they had had quite a, a row in the morning before the dinner party about the colonel's lady. If the detectives prejudged the colonel guilty, you can imagine why. His testimony was incriminating. Meanwhile, a force of 2,000 was organized to search a 40-square-mile area for the missing body. The authorities dragged a deep water hole near the chalk pit where her car was found. Tracking dogs and light planes scoured the area. Publicity mounted steadily. The London newspapers were calling the incident the crime of the century. The Daily News offered 100 pounds for information leading to the solution of the mystery. Of course, you know he didn't do it. You know his wife was hiding out, waiting for her husband to be convicted of murder and sent to the gallows. You know because I told you. But there's something you didn't know. The colonel's wife had planned everything. She had left the ignition key off when she pushed the car into the pit so the police would know that it was pushed and not driven. She had even left the fur coat in the car. It was very cold that night, remember? When investigators would find the coat, they would not suspect she had left the scene herself. Yes, the colonel's wife had figured it all out, except for one thing. There was no place for her to hide. Twelve days after her disappearance, her famous face was recognized on the other side of England. Not only was the colonel's wife well known, but she, of all people, should have been able to get away with murder. For the colonel's wife, the real-life almost murderess was the author of fiction's most successful whodunits. She was the mystery, mistress of mystery, Agatha Christie. <laughs> No wonder we like reading her books. She knows what she's talking about. Oh, boy. You say, well, why in the world did you read that? And I'm saying, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought you'd enjoy it, and you'd relax a little bit, and I will enjoy it, and I will relax a little bit, and we will press on to the topic 
uh, for today. And I thank you for our men back in the booth. I had messed up the PowerPoint presentation to where I wasn't even going to use it. But I brought it with me and showed it to them. And Luke especially, that guy, don't let him get near your computer. He, he can really find the secret stuff. But he was able to figure out how to clean it up. And so I think that we're going to have it available. But he told me that this was not on and it would have to be turned on, which I have now done. And that's not the title. No. Well, while, while we're getting that straightened out, I'll just proceed. Uh, having been a member of the pastoral staff here at Grace Community Church, it was always my greatest desire to have my contribution as a staff member, as associate pastor. My greatest contribution was to help our people in some way better see their God, better understand just how great He really is, just how wonderful He is, just how available He really is to each one of us who can call Him Heavenly Father. And we can pray to Him and take any circumstance to Him. And we're going to be looking at a passage from Second Chronicles chapter 32. Uh, the title there in gold is uh, The Great Essential. And that's, that's really the theme that I want to develop. Uh, there are so many things that are a part of our life, so many things we do. But what is the great essential? Now, I would like to suggest that it should be, if it's not, it should be to have a view of God that in some way is worthy of Him. First uh, Peter chapter 5, Peter spoke to leadership and as to what their responsibility was to be to the flock. You remember that? Peter said, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Then he qualifies it. Not under compulsion. We can't make you do these things. But voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain. We don't do it to pad our bank account. But with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. That's what leadership is supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that are providing an example to the flock of what God expects of every, every one of us. And what He expects of all of us is devotion to Him. He wants us to know Him in such a way that Knowing Him brings worshiping Him. And we worship Him and Him only. There is no second or third. There's only Him. And He is to be paramount in our thinking. And that will lead to Him being paramount in our doing. Our lives, in the actions we do, in the words that we say, they should reflect that we know who our God is. We know that He's sovereign and omnipotent and omniscient and holy and righteous and merciful. 
and a God of love. And he loved us so much that he sent himself as his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, to pay for all sin, and in doing so, to make possible the salvation of all who simply believe. It's being offered as a gift, and God says, will you receive it? And if you receive it, if you take it in your heart saying, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for me, not for himself. He died for my sin. And I can have God's righteousness and have eternal life with him. If you believe that, then you indeed become a child of God. So the greatest essential, in my mind, even as an elder, a lay elder now, is to help you develop a view of God that is in some way worthy of Him. That's the great essential. To help you develop a view of God that in some way is worthy of Him. You talk to people, and when you talk about God, have you noticed that people talk about Him in a way that, why would you want to worship a God like that? Uh, He doesn't love you. Uh, he doesn't, he's not faithful to your needs. He doesn't care. He's not capable of doing certain things. See, and you've allowed in your mind to have a view of God that's not worthy of worshiping him. Or to think of our God and to respond to him in a way that is consistent with who he is. I think it ought to be our job as leadership, or our job as brother to brother and sister to sister, to help others think of God so that your response to Him is in a way that is consistent with who He is, so that our lifestyle will be a message to those who observe us, that He knows the real God, the true God. She knows the true God, because her life reflects it. She worships him instead of the gods of the world. And she's intimate with him instead of the psychiatrist or the other ways people try to deal with their problems. Um, And so this morning I want to raise this, this issue of what is the greatest essential in our life And why is it important? There's no area of our lives that's not shaped by our view of God. There are some people that just don't pray anymore. You ever ask them why? What if they told you, I don't pray anymore because God has blessed me so much. He's given me so much and he's protected me from so much and he's provided so much that I just can't stand it anymore. So I'm not going to pray to him anymore because I just can't handle any more of what he gives his children. I've never ever heard anybody say that. I've said it only as an illustration, hypothetical. I've never heard had anybody actually say that. I have had people say, I don't pray to him anymore because he doesn't love me. Because my mother was sick and I I prayed to him and said, please help my mother get well. And mama died. Why would a loving God do that to me? Israel has a real problem with God. You say there's a God and he loves Israel? 
Well, he didn't love them from 1941 to 1945 because six million of them were put to death by the Germans, including children and women. And after they were dead, their skin was peeled off their backs to use for purses and whatever. And their teeth were pulled out to get the gold. And their glasses were taken out to do something with them. I mean, it was absolute uh, horrible what happened to those people. And Jews today say, a God like that can't love me. He can't love Israel. They can't see who God really is and what God's really doing. So it's important to understand who our God is so that we can respond to him in a way that is consistent with who he is. And so, in my view of God, is it worthy of him? If not, my whole life will be affected negatively. Some people are plagued with worry. They worry about everything. Some of you are here today. You just worry about everything. I I don't mean to jump on you, but you don't fully understand who your God is. If you really did, you wouldn't be worrying. Some people are rebellious and defiant of God's ways. They think that they can live their own life and it'll be a great life and if there is a God, if he leaves me alone, I'll leave him alone. You know what that's telling me? They really don't understand who God is. How much God loved them. Because God went to the cross for all of us, including those people who deny him and reject him. Some people are self-centered. And when I see people who are self-centered, I think they really don't understand who their God is. If they did, they would not be self-centered. They would be humble and they would worship God instead of worshiping self. They would say, God is the focus of everything. Instead of saying, I am the focus of everything. The world revolves around me. That is not only a selfish philosophy, it's a fatal philosophy. It's going to fail. It can't work because it denies reality. I want us to look in 2 Chronicles 32. And this involves the life of King Hezekiah. And... It's a passage that indicates the kind of impact a proper view of God can have uh, in the circumstances of life. And in chapter 32, this was a crucial circumstance in the life of Israel. But let me first give you some historical review. Uh, The 12 tribe nation of Israel was divided in 931 B.C. It was divided by the Assyrians, and it was broken up into the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah. Uh, Hezekiah, who was a king of Judah, he was one of Israel's greatest kings, probably only behind David and Solomon. Hezekiah would probably come in third. The the scriptures tell us that after the division, the southern kingdom, Judah, they had 20 kings before they were swept away to Babylonian captivity. Of the 20 kings, eight are recorded in scripture as saying they did good 
in the sight of God, which means that 12, it says, they did what was evil in the sight of their God. They failed their God. They failed their people. They were lousy kings. They encouraged their people to worship false gods. They made alliances with Gentile evil nations, and all that blew up in their face. And in 586, finally, King Nebuchadnezzar came back, and he destroyed Jerusalem, and he destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, and scattered, took, took them back to Babylon, where they were in servitude, along with Daniel the prophet, who was taken back in 605 uh, uh, to serve the king and serve uh, the nation of, of Babylon. But um, uh, that's who Hezekiah was. Uh, his, his rule was from 715 to 686 B.C. All right. Hezekiah's father's name was Ahaz, and according to Second Chronicles 28.1, he was wicked. He was one of the 12 that were wicked. His son was Manasseh. And 2 Chronicles 32 says he was wicked. They did what was evil in the sight of God. They put up false altars for false worship. Uh, they did not encourage their people to honor the God of Israel. They did not understand him to be who he was. Therefore, they didn't see him really as an ally. They said, we'll fix our own problems when they come. All right. Um, but um, Hezekiah, he was a good king. He brought spiritual reform and revival in, in the 14 years of, of his reign. He did good things, and the people prospered as a result. Now, in the first eight verses of chapter 32, we're going to see that Israel, or Judah, is about to be invaded by a guy named Sennacherib, who's the king of, uh, of uh, uh, Assyria. That's the, uh, th verses 1 to 8. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who's already dealt with the ten northern tribes. Now he's coming to deal with the two southern tribes. All right. And, and by the way, this passage um, in Second, Second Chronicles 32, it's also recorded in Second Kings 18, in Isaiah 36 to 39. It's the only passage in Scripture ever recorded three times. Well, let's say in the Old Testament. There are some New Testament incidents that are recorded in the Gospels. But in the Old Testament, it's the only passage ever recorded three times. Now, in Bible study methods, we were taught that when you see something repeated over and over and over, that's significant. Why is that happening. Uh, Daryl has pointed out to our Sunday school class as we go through the Gospel of Mark that Mark was a, a fellow who was uh, you know, on the go. Let's get it done. He, he, didn't, he didn't let grass grow between his toes. But he uses a word very frequently, immediately, 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 immediately. When you see that word immediately, in chapter 1 it's used over 10 times. That's significant. That, that means you need to pause and, and study that. Well, this is significant. When we have this event recorded in three different portions 
of the Old Testament, including Isaiah the prophet, who prophesied during the reign of King Hezekiah. Uh, What was the intent of the Holy Spirit as he oversaw the the human author? Uh, His intent was to tell us this is important, this story. There's something here to see. What was the intent of the chronicler as he wrote? He writes around 400 B.C., when Israel was back from Babylonian captivity and now living under the control of the Persian Empire. Judah is a small, tiny nation in a sea of Gentiles. When I look at a map, I see uh, uh, the Mediterranean, and on the southern shore, you have all the Arab nations, uh, Libya, Egypt. I forgot the other ones, but they're there. And and then... uh, to the east, uh, you see Lebanon, uh, uh, Lebanon and, and uh, uh, Jordan and all the Arab nations there. And then you look, and right, right in the, on the shore of the Mediterranean, it's like a postage stamp, and that's Israel. I mean, they are totally surrounded by enemy. They are surrounded by people who have openly vowed before the United Nations that we want to exterminate these people that call themselves the Jews, the Israelites. And they have few friends. And America, thank the Lord, is one of them. But there's always a push to destroy that as well. People in our own country want to see us walk away from Israel and say, you're on your own. Good luck. Hope things work out for you. And this is happening now. They've got, uh, they're living in a, a world that's surrounded by Gentiles. And, and what that tells me is, is that uh, they are understanding better than, than we what it's like to be a part of the times of the Gentiles that Jesus spoke about. He, he, he said that I won't come until the times of the Gentiles has come to an end. Meaning that when he comes, Israel will never again have to live under the authority and power and control of a Gentile world that is bent on destroying them. When Christ comes, he will not only be the Messiah of Israel, he will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will be the King of the earth. And all nations will be under his authority. And never again in eternity future Will Israel ever have to serve in a Gentile world or live in a Gentile world? The world will live in a messianic kingdom, whether they like it or not. And most of them will like it. It'll be nice. So everything depends on our view of God. The power of secularism, humanism, the New Age spirituality, it's sweeping into our homes And it's eroding the foundations of of our families and our lives and our culture. Just like back in their day. Uh, They just didn't see how they could deal with so much enemy all around them. And God was trying to show them that, hey, you've got a lot of enemies, but you've got a lot of God. And they think they're great in number, but they really have no help at all. All they do is by the power of man's hand. What you do is by the power of the Lord God. 
He bites, he fights your battles for you. And he brings victory because you're his people and you honor him and you understand who he is. All right. So it's a bleak picture, 701 B.C. And verse 1 says, after these acts of faithfulness, um, I don't think I have that uh, here. Yeah, I do. Uh, after these acts of faithfulness, that's the way verse 1 starts, and it takes us back to the last part of chapter 31. It says in verse 20, and thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judea, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. And every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. And then verse 1, after these acts of faithfulness. What were the acts of faithfulness? Obeying God, trying to build a culture of Israel into a culture that made God priority number one. We worship Him. We seek His will for us as a nation and for us as individuals. And God is immersed into our nation. He's a part of us. And we are to be responsible to Him and honor Him and glorify Him and worship Him. It almost sounds like Sunday morning at Grace Community Church. Isn't that what we're here for? To recognize just who our God really is and to worship Him and honor Him and to make overtones of, Lord, we are willing to walk according to what you say. We want to, our will, we want it to be your will. We don't want to go against you. We want to go with you and for you. And as a result, we expect you to bless us. And when we do it, blessings come. When nations don't do it, when churches don't do it, how in the world can they even think about blessings? We've got a church next door to us. Started out as a, a, the big Presbyterian church, U.S., which is the, the liberal section. Uh, the conservatives left the U.S. Presbyterian church. Men like Frank Barker and D. James Kennedy down in Fort uh, Lauderdale, they formed a new Presbyterian denomination called the Presbyterian Church of America, PCA. And they are still committed to the authority of Scripture and inerrancy of Scripture, to the deity of Christ, to the sacrificial death of Christ for sinners, and for free grace salvation to those who believe. This place right on the other side of the veterinary clinic they reject all that. Uh, they reject the authority of Scripture because if we have to honor that as truth, then we can't do what we want to do. And so they find a way to say, well, that had its day, it had its place, but it's no longer relevant for, for, the, for the church today. And that leaves them the freedom to determine what is true and what are the marching orders for that church. And uh, they don't see a spiritual salvation. They see salvation in terms of social salvation. Their goal, their ministry is to feed the poor and clothe the, 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 the naked and educate the ignorant and to help people get a, a better step up in life on who they are. 
But you can buy a man in Armani suit and put him in Mountain Brook, and you can give him a doctorate from, uh, I've been a bachelor's from Alabama, a master's from LSU, and a doctorate from Harvard, or they would say Harvard. You would do all that, and you know, you know what you got? You got a well-dressed, well-fed, well-educated, lost sinner. It's not until he comes to know Christ as the one who died for him spiritually that you've accomplished the goal of the gospel. The gospel is not to feed people. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have social ministry. That's one way that we can reach into people's lives and bring the gospel. But if that's the end itself, if there's nothing beyond that, just to give them better neighborhoods, better clothing, better food, better education, if that's all it is, then we're wasting our time. Because the gospel of Christ is about eternity, not about what you accomplish in this life itself. But after these acts of faithfulness, after all the good things that Hezekiah was doing as king of his nation, you would expect a whole bunch of good stuff to come in. And verse 1 says, after these acts of faithfulness, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. (laughs) The reward for being faithful as a king before the God of Israel, the reward was that now you're going to be invaded by the worst king on the earth, Sennacherib, who's got a greater army and he's ruthless. I mean, when he destroyed the northern ten tribes, they just scattered. They, they went anywhere. Just get me out of here. And if you didn't run and go, you were dead. And now he's planning to do the same thing with the southern tribes uh, of Judah. And here's a king who had went against the, 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 the trend. He didn't do what his father was doing. He went against his father. And he went against all the other kings who were wicked And he said, I'm like David and I'm like Solomon. I want to do what God wants done for the people of Israel. And now they're about to be invaded by the biggest uh, king on on the hill, uh, Sennacherib, who's king of Assyria. And in 722, he took away the ten tribes, and they never existed again as an independent nation. And now he's back for Judah. And Hezekiah, he had attempted to to deal with it in different ways, and it didn't work. Now, he tried some peace measures. He even tried to build an alliance with Egypt. Maybe that tells Shennacherib, better back off. He's got Egypt watching his back with with their military. And they weren't chopped liver. They were a pretty good-sized nation at that time, too. Uh, He tried, uh, he offered to pay tribute from the temple treasury. Now, that did not please God. But he was thinking, we will give them some of the temple treasury, and maybe they'll back off. That didn't work. They didn't want some of it. They wanted all of it. They didn't want some of the property, some of the real estate. They wanted all of the real estate. Um, 2 Kings 18 is where we read about his paying tribute from the temple treasury. And then making an alliance with Egypt. That angered Sennacherib all the more. And he took the fortified cities that was at Lachish. And that was the, next, that was the stop before Jerusalem. 
And these fortified cities had reserves of food and armament, and he took all that so that Judah couldn't use it, and he could add it to what he already had. And uh, in a, um, I forget if I need to go back, yeah. In the Chronicles of Shennacherib, which is a document that historians uncovered, uh, Sennacherib himself talks about this point in time. He says, I have shut up Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a caged bird. Now I'm just waiting to spring the trap, crush the cage, and take the man. That was his goal. And he thought that he had it all set up, and it was all going to happen. So the situation is bleak. But there's there's a, a principle that comes out of this that we can't ignore. And the principle is this. Uh, faithfulness uh, does not exempt us from difficulty. You get that? A lot of people think that, that's not, that it's just the opposite. If I'm faithful, nothing bad will ever happen to me. No. Uh, some of the greatest believers that I've known in my life have had to go through some difficult times. They've had to deal with physical illness, cancer and tuberculosis and uh, just whatever. They've also had physical, uh, uh, social difficulties. They've lost jobs. They've lost their homes. Uh, they've had children who uh, have gotten caught up in, in bad thinking, and they start doing bad things. They weren't trained to do that, but they're no longer following the wisdom of their, their parents who are trying to follow the wisdom of God and His Word. But because you are following God faithfully does not mean you can say, well, it's the yellow road, yellow brick road for us. Um, nothing, nothing bad will ever happen to us. No. And, and faithfulness does not inoculate us from enemy attack. As a matter of fact, who does the enemy want to attack? Somebody who's already caved in or somebody who's resisting? The, the, the enemy is always going to attack the person who is faithful because they want to tear down what you represent. A faithful, loyal opposition to the enemy and a faithful, loyal worshiper of the God of heaven who redeemed you through the death of his own son, Jesus Christ. And so, um, this is the situation. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he says this about it. He says, it would seem to be a strange answer of God to the faithfulness of his servant that a strong foe should at this moment invade the kingdom. The story needs more details than are found in this record. They may be found in 2 Kings 18. From that passage, we find that Hezekiah had flung off the yoke of the king of Assyria, which his father Ahaz had consented to wear. Then Sennacherib had invaded Judah, and in a moment of weakness, Hezekiah had paid him a heavy tribute and again yielded to his rule in order to buy him off. The result was not what he desired, for Sennacherib now demanded an unconditional surrender. In this hour of crisis, resulting from his own vacillation, his faith and courage were renewed. He took immediate action to embarrass the foe by stopping the supply of water, by strengthening the fortifications, 
by mobilizing his army, and finally by assuring the people there is a greater with us than with him. You never forget that. That sometimes makes the, all the difference in the world. When you think that you, you're just at the brink and you don't know what else you can do, remember, greater is with us than with him. They've got false things. They're real, they're powerful, but they're false. You've got the real deal, the God of creation, the God of redemption, the God of faithfulness, the God who has promised that one day you will dwell with him forever and ever in a glorified state, never again to be subject to physical mortality and all the problems that come with that. And boy, there are a lot of problems that come with that. I'm, they're catching up with me quicker than I can write them down in my journal. Uh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that. I should have brought my cane with me, but I, I forgot. And that's another problem. I can't remember things. And I wrote it down, but I forgot where I wrote it down. Uh, I won't go there anymore. But that's an important principle, that just because we're fight, faith, faithfully following God, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be war. It doesn't mean that the enemy's not going to attack the more faithful you are, the greater the attack. Because he wants to diminish your witness. He knows that people are watching you. He knows that people are following you. And if I can topple you, then a whole bunch go. It's like the dominoes. You know, we, we all, who doesn't like lining up the dominoes? And uh, uh, I've, I've done it for a lot of reasons. But you line them all up, and one of my little grandchildren, she would always come before I was ready, and she would hit the first one, and they all go down. They all go down. You say, well, just take that one out. Well, you still got all these, and, and they're following that one. By the way, if you say that those dominoes represent all the great doctrines of Scripture— the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the church, all the doctrines, make them dominoes and line them all up. And the first domino is the Bible. And if you knock it down, if you destroy what, what the, the authority of the Bible, then they all go down. Because you say, well, where do we get what we know about God? From the Bible. Where do we get what we know about Jesus Christ? From the Bible. Where do we get what we know about salvation? From the Bible. Where do we get what we know about prophecy? The promises that he's coming back one day. Who made that up? No, it's in the scriptures. So if I can discredit the scriptures, I've discredited everything. So that's how valuable this Bible is. It is the foundation, the building block of truth. Jesus himself said, I am the truth, and I'm the light, and I'm the way. And there's only one way to come to me, to come to God. That's through me. There are not many ways. This isn't Rome. There's one way, and that's Christ. <clears throat> so thank you, Mr. Morgan, for that uh, timely word. He was a great expositor. Um, 
I wasn't finished. Uh, I wasn't finished reading that. Yeah, I did. yeah, I did. It was okay. Well, how did uh, Hezekiah respond to verse one to uh, Sennacherib's desire to invade Judah and to take uh, Hez- and take all the, the land and destroy uh, the kingdom? Well, verse two. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped them. You remember Hezekiah's tunnel. They found a way to route the water away so that Sennacherib couldn't get to it and make, take advantage of it. His army needs water. But they're not going to drink our water, Hezekiah said. And they rerouted it so that Sennacherib couldn't find it and couldn't get to it. Um, uh, lost my place. Um, so many people assembled and stopped up all the springs in the stream which flowed through the region, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and rebuilt all the wall that had been broken down. And he erected towers on it and built another outside wall and strengthened the, the, the Milo or Milo. And that, that is actually along the wall, which were big, tall things, uh, they included in the wall a fortification where they could put guards and have ammunitions available and, and all that. So that would, be, that would weaken the, the defense that the wall was bringing. Um, and they made weapons and shields in great number. And he appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to him in the square, uh, in the city gate. And he spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous and do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the multitude which is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. And by the way, that eventually came into the scriptures again as a part of the book of 1 John. And in 1 John, um, uh, verse 4, he says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who was in the world. And so that's another reminder that our God is with us. He's not with the world. And in that context, the world represents the unbelieving humanity who are under the judgment of God because they will not accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. And if they will not accept it, then they must pay the penalty themselves. You see, the death of Christ didn't guarantee the salvation of anybody. It made possible the salvation of all who believe. Faith is a must. Faith has to happen. People must accept. People must believe in what Christ did. Just because he did it doesn't mean all these people are saved. Um, I didn't bring the paperwork, but it's an interesting read in the, in the court records way back in the early 1800s, a guy named George Wilson was arrested and convicted 
of robbing a train, and they killed a guard, and he was sentenced to death. And while he was waiting for uh, his execution, uh, people in the country started a movement, uh, soft-hearted people, and eventually they, they petitioned uh, President, uh, is it Jackson, Andrew Jackson? Uh, whoever was president, he issued a pardon to George Wilson. And when George Wilson was presented with uh, the pardon, he said, nope, I don't want it. You found me guilty, so execute me. Well, nobody had ever rejected a presidential pardon before. So it went to the Supreme Court. And uh, John Jay, I forget the Supreme Court Justice, he wrote the predominant uh, opinion, and he said, a pardon is a piece of paper uh, who, who, uh, to whom, to whom, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's a piece of paper, and the person to whom that paper is directed, he must accept it, or else the pardon is of no value. So even though Jesus Christ died for all, it's of no value to those who reject him. They must then pay their own penalty, which is eternal separation from God. But that's how much God loved the world, that he died for all. And those who believe will enjoy the blessings of that, that pardon. Uh, during World War II, Winston Churchill, uh, he came to North America to rally support for the war. And he met with Roosevelt and the Prime Minister of Canada, and, and he addressed the Prime Minister of Canada. Uh, this, was, uh, uh, this is what the Prime Minister of Canada said. He said, the French generals went and told their government that in three weeks England would have her neck wrung like a chicken. And then Churchill paused, and then he said, some chicken, some neck. <laughs> And if you know history, you know that the British never gave in. They were being bombed daily. They were seeing their people killed daily. It was horrible. They were low on food. They were low on everything. And it would have been so easy just to surrender like a wrung chicken. But Churchill said, some chicken, some neck. <laughs> we're not the ordinary chicken. We're not giving in, and eventually they overcame their enemies uh, in, a, in a, a very victorious way. Well, Hezekiah has, has the same attitude. He knows they're coming, but we're going to do what we can do to prepare for them. And you say, well, that sounds like the Lord helps those who help themselves. Well, there's a little bit of truth to that. God doesn't expect you just to sit down and, and, and say, say, okay, God, do it. We do have to do what we can. That comes out of First Opinions 1-1. The Lord helps those who help themselves. But it's also true that uh, some people say, well, I say let go and let God. Well, that's not, but actually it's a little bit of truth to both of them. We have to release our, will, our own resources and trust God to handle things His way. Uh, and so they're both true. We need determination and discipline, and we need faith. And the works of faith for Hezekiah was the water supply, 
the wall that had to be rebuilt, concern for the defense and the military. And then the words of faith were verses 7 and 8. He told his people, be strong and courageous and do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the multitude which is with him, nor the one with us. But for the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And then uh, my time is just about gone. But if you'll read verses 9 down to verse 19, you'll see that Hezekiah tried everything he could. He tried to intimidate them. He tried to insult God. He, he even spoke out to God. You tell your God this, that you know, he, uh, he basically said the, uh, three things about him in those latter verses that uh, you can read uh, on your own. Um, where did I put them? Uh, yeah, he said, your leader can't be trusted in verses 10 and 11. In verse, verses 13 to 15, your God is too small. He's a minor leaguer. And then in verse 19, he says, your God is a wimp. He's not adequate. You can't succeed against me. So just give it up. The point was, they won't succeed if they believe what is said about their God. That's Satan's ploy to chop our view of God down to human size. Once our God is like other gods, once he ceases to be mysterious, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, just, merciful, once we've recreated him in our image, we've reduced our ability to stand for him. Who wants to stand for a God like that? No, we stand for a God who is unconquerable. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He knows all. He does all. He's righteous. He holds everybody accountable to him. And if you read the rest of the story, victory came to Hezekiah because one more, one more piece of the puzzle was added, and it's recorded. And I, well, it's recorded in Hezekiah, verse twenty. But uh, it's also recorded in, in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 37. Uh, Hezekiah tells us that, verse 20, the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. They did what they could do, which was reasonable. But then it's time to show our faith to our God. And they prayed. The details of the prayer are given in Isaiah. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel who art enthroned above the cherubim, thou art the God, thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. That hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. So they've destroyed them. And now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou alone, Lord, art God. So what was the prayer about? He talked about the intimidation before the Lord. He calls upon the Lord to defend his people. 
And God did intervene. God sent an angel and destroyed every mighty warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. Isaiah gives us a little extra. Isaiah says that the number of every warrior and commander in the camp turned out to be 185,000 men. God destroyed them with just the word of his mouth. And Israel said, we're trusting you, Lord. We've done all we can do, but now you're going to have to make sure we win the battle. And God honored that because they were honoring him. And a great victory was won. It says that Sennacherib packed up and went home. And when he got home, he went to his temple. And his own children murdered him at his own temple. It's kind of ironic that Hezekiah went to his temple uh, to pray and worship his God. And ask for, for life. Sennacherib went home to his temple to pray to his God. And he got death at the hands of his own children. Well, there's so much more. But time won't allow us uh, this trip. But Hezekiah is a wonderful example of how important it is to have a proper view of God. Because if he's not sovereign and holy and righteous and all these things, why do you want to go to him? What do you expect him to do? Well, George, I'd like to help you, but, you know, I don't have any resources for that. Or I don't really know much about that. Why do you want to go and, and put your future in the hands of somebody that knows less than you? But if God is who he says he is, then how can we not go to him and say, Oh, Lord, thou art the Lord God of creation, and you're our Father, and you've promised to be with us. And we're asking you to honor your commitment to us as your children we got a real problem. It's beyond us. But we know that it's not beyond you. And in life, there's no problem that's not great enough to where God can't be a part of the solution. And God wants to be a part of every solution. He wants to be a part of everything you do in your life. Because that is a witness. That is a testimony to everybody who's watching you. Including all the little ones who are watching us. And we're shaping their mind. We're shaping their view of who their God is. Father, I do thank you for the lesson we learned from Hezekiah. It was a very difficult situation. The nation was at risk. And they had just witnessed earlier the northern ten tribes being scattered to all the four points of the earth. They knew how ruthless Hezekiah, Sennacherib was. They knew how powerful he was. They knew what uh, resources they had, and they knew that it wasn't going to be enough. So they did what they could do, but then they turned to the Lord and acknowledged, you're our God. You're the one that we trust to take care of us individually and as a nation. And God brought a great victory for Judah that day. And Sennacherib packed up and went home to deal with his own problems. So, Father, uh, may we learn the lesson from Hezekiah. May 2 Chronicles 32 be a, a, bent, a, a, a marked page in our Bible that we always turn to when we begin to question and doubt uh, whether or not things are going to work out in our life. May we always go there and be reminded of who you are 
And then may we ask ourselves, who do I think my God is? And if he's all that he really is, then why can I not trust him to take care of me in all my situations? And I thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.
What a great God that we've come to, to, to serve and to worship today, George. And uh, keep up with the events that are this week. Uh, Tuesday morning, men's Bible study. I don't know about tomorrow night. Are the ladies doing something tomorrow night? Tuesday night and Friday morning. Tuesday night and Friday morning. They're doing something. And that's all I know. <laughs> but let me add one that you may not know. June 29th, uh, Joy Club is going to have a red beans and rice lunch right here at the church. And so uh, sign up so that we'll know how many beans to soak. And then uh, Glenda will tell you anything else you need to know. But we haven't met in a long time, a year. So we're looking forward to getting back together and having just some good old fellowship and reminding ourselves that uh, we are a resource to one another, to encourage one another and to help one another. So anyway, with all that, let's uh, close with uh, benediction. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We're dismissed.